Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another special edition of the Michael Deacon program. We are joined by a very special guest this evening, Norman Oler. He is an award-winning German novelist, screenwriter, and journalist. He spent five years researching for his latest book, Blitzed. He went through numerous archives in Germany and in the United States. He spoke to eyewitnesses, military historians, and doctors. Long before Blue Meth had a meteoric rise on Netflix and cartels in Mexico dyed their meth blue, the Nazis were first on the scene. Tonight, we jump into that very subject. Now let's bring in Norman. Hello, how are you? There you are. I had to unmute you. What's going on, Norman? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. I can't really complain. I'm glad you are here tonight. I really do appreciate you taking some time to talk to us all here. Sure, it's a pleasure. Yes, no problem. And of course, for those that don't know, Norman is actually currently in Germany as we speak. Also, I'm sorry about that. I'm cutting up uh, in the audio here. I apologize, folks, if you can hear that. But yes, Norman, I definitely want to get into your background here. Very curious about yourself, my friend. Did we lose you, Norman? I'm here. Um... I'm not sure if you lost me. I don't know <laughs> if I can hear you all the time. Oh, am I breaking up on you? I think uh, the connection should be good. Oh, no. What about now? Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yes, Norman. So I, I wanted to get into your background here as we begin. Okay. Yes. Tell me about yourself, Norman. Well, I'm a writer. I live in Berlin, Germany. I've published... Um, four novels and one nonfiction book. Um, and um, what else do you want to know? I was also very curious about the 90s for you. Those seem to be pretty fun times in your life. I thought you could tell us about those days. Well, in the 90s, I actually lived in uh, New York City, and I was writing the first book, which is a detective story set in New York. And then I decided to move back to Berlin because in Berlin the wall had come down and um, people from east and west were meeting for the first time and um, there was a lot of um, a very lively club scene going on in Berlin. So I was interested in that. So I moved back from New York to Berlin and um, wrote my second novel in Berlin, which is called Mitte, which means center. It's about the center of Berlin and it tells the story of how the city uh, reinvented itself. And um, yeah, so that, those were the 90s for me in Berlin. Were you also some sort of DJ? No. Um, I know a lot of DJs, um, and I know club owners, uh, but I'm not a DJ myself. I'm just a writer. Understood. And of course, I'm very curious how you first were introduced to Hitler and the Third Reich, and what got you interested in the subject? Well, I've always been interested. When I was a teenager, um, I, I thought that um, I want to know more about this time, and I spoke to my grandfather about it, and I was not uh, satisfied with his stories. So um, um, I thought one day I want to maybe write about the subject, but I didn't know what angle I would use. So in fact, uh, it was a DJ that um, uh, gave me the idea to write about drugs in Nazi Germany because he had the he had heard that 
drugs played a, a big role and I thought that was quite unusual to hear that from him. He's a good friend of mine. Um, he told me this about uh, six or seven years ago. Right. Um, and um, I, I, when I, when I asked him, how do you know this? And um, he told me that a friend of his uh, found old pills from the from the Nazi times in, a, in an East German apartment. And um, they had uh, on the label, it said that the ingredient was methamphetamine. So he told me this story. So I started researching this uh, medication, uh, which was called Pervitine. That was the brand name. And I found out that uh, methamphetamine was widely used in Nazi Germany. And um, so that's that was kind of the beginning. And then I did academic research in several archives looking at documents on how methamphetamine was actually used or what other drugs played an important role and what drugs were used by the army and what drugs were used by Hitler. So it became a, a, quite a, a big and long research. Understood. Now, I've been able to read some of your book, Blitzed, and it's incredible. It's packed with very solid information. I truly recommend it for all of you out there listening to this. And I'm curious, did you experience any difficulty or, or criticism when you first published this book, Norman? Not really, um, because in Germany, everyone was interested in the subject, because in Germany, we think we know everything about the yes. time. Um there was some criticism uh, from the German army because I was um, I did interview interviews with army historians uh, who gave me um, also information, and then later on one guy wrote to me that um, um, that uh, if if I write too much on how the German army was uh, being helped by the use of stimulants, namely methamphetamine, I would kind of portray them as um, being dependent on their, on, their, on their chemical stimulant rather than uh, explaining how um, magnificent their fighting capabilities actually were. So that, that, was a, that was a criticism that came out of German army circles, which actually surprised me because I, I, I didn't think anyone from the current German army would kind of defend um, the Wehrmacht, uh, the, the Nazi army in the, in the, in the, of the 40s. Yeah, that is pretty interesting, even the fact that you showed up on their radar. Well, um, I was interested in the um, so-called Blitzkrieg, the speed war that the Nazis, uh, in a way, invented, or the Wehrmacht at the time, um, especially the campaign against France in the spring of 1940, when uh, 35 million dosages of methamphetamine were being used. So I was speaking to um, army um historians asking them how they evaluate uh, that massive drug intake. So um, I kind of approached them. Right. For those that don't know, in Germany, there are uh, strict laws banning Nazi symbols and memorabilia. I forgot the exact name of that, however. Um, the German law well, to, you know, criminal criminalizing uh, the Holocaust denial. Yeah, I don't know what the name of the law is, but I Forgot, mean, yeah. you're, supposed, you're, you're very welcome in Germany to do research, but you you cannot glorify um, um, the Nazi past, which I think is a, is a good thing. Um, I mean, in my book, I do the very opposite. Uh, I, I, I kind of deconstruct the last myths about the Nazi war machine. 
um, by showing that um, a lot of their success was actually actually comes from uh, uh, taking uh, methamphetamine. So this had never been talked about before in the German public. Yeah, that's very interesting. And going back to the memorabilia, I've seen a few of the uniforms from the SS, and I always liked them, to be honest with you. I also liked the hats very much with the skull. I always thought that was pretty cool. But I'm sure individuals out there in Germany do not like any of that, which is why there's a law against having any of these uh, things. So I always found that very interesting. Well, actually, the SS uniforms were designed by Hugo Boss, um, which is a very famous clothing brand uh, right. even today. So mm -hmm. the uniforms are quite smart, actually. Yeah, those are very intimidating. And the German yeah. soldiers were very feared as well. And by the way, Norman, is methamphetamine still popular in Germany today? Well, it's illegal uh, now. Um, the company who made who made it and turned it into a brand that they called Pervitin, Pervitin stopped yeah. producing it. Pervitin stopped producing it in 1980, um, so it disappeared from the market in 1980. Uh, since then. It's only available uh, illegally, like in all the other countries in the world. It's basically called crystal meth, or it's called meth. Right. Um, so you can you can get crystal meth, especially in the eastern part of Germany, which borders the Czech Republic, because the, in the Czech Republic um, are the largest uh, illegal meth labs uh, currently uh, in Europe. So it kind of comes from there. So it's a it's it's quite a it's quite a problem in 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 Germany, especially in East Germany, ah. with uh, young people getting uh, addicted to it. Interesting, because I live on the uh, southern border, about twelve miles away from uh, the Mexican border out here. Ironically, Donald Trump is out here as well today, at this very moment as we speak. And one of the major problems out here is meth and black tar heroin so i was just kind of curious what the most popular drug was out there in germany i also suspect it's meth and heroin i'm pretty sure yeah it kind of depends on the region in the east ah. of germany it's meth um but we don't have our truck drug problem is not as large as the one of the united states yes um i think in the u.s you really have um huge drug problems because um, here we have a much better um, social welfare system and so people even if they are out of jobs they uh, still get support from from the uh, government so, so it's a little different understood so you can't just buy chocolate dosed with meth anymore like you used to <laughs> no that's uh, those days are over long um, gone yes um, the Hildebrand chocolates that were sold in the late 30s and 40s are legend. Uh, one piece of chocolate uh, contained uh, 13 milligrams of methamphetamine, which is quite a lot. They were taken off the market um, in the early 40s. Um, even though meth was legal in Nazi Germany, those chocolates were uh, too strong, so they were not allowed to be sold anymore. Yeah, it's very interesting how that played such a significant role back in the early days and i'm putting up a photo right now for those that are in the chat room of a young woman who's going through some of these chocolates now and 
the Nazi regime, they preached an ideology of physical, mental, and moral purity, as you described in your book. But that was not the truth. That brings me to Hitler. I also understand he was heavily on drugs, but did he consume meth at all? No, um, his uh, personal physician, Theo Morel, thought that uh, meth is, um, is the whip for the horse, and he would not give um, the German leader the whip. He would, uh, he would give him the hay, so he actually gave him different uh, drugs, um, especially opioids. Um, Hitler was using one opioid uh, in particular at the time. It was the brand name in Germany was Oikodal. Um, today it's uh, still on the market as oxycodone, so that's the very drug that is um, is fueling the American opioid crisis. That was actually the favorite drug of Hitler uh, from 30, uh, 43 to uh, 45, especially in 44. He was using a lot of uh, oxycodone, um, getting it uh, injected um, into the bloodstream, in, in, into his veins. So uh, there's, there's actually only one record that Hitler used uh, methamphetamine. That was Christmas 1944. Uh, he got uh, an, an injection of methamphetamine. So he, he actually used it once. He might have used it more often, but there's no records to prove that. So it would be speculation. But there's a lot of records proving that he used um, opioids. So we can focus uh, on that when we talk about Hitler's drug abuse. And what is your personal take on Hitler? Well, he portrayed himself to the outside world as a saint-like figure who would um, live a very pure um, and clean life. Um, he was known. He was known to be um, an, uh, uh, against smoking, against alcohol, against drinking even coffee or tea, uh, against any form of stimulant. That was his image. That that was a part of the cult that was created around him. But the fact was that he was using a lot of prescription drugs that his personal physician, Theo Morel, gave him. So um, he took over 90 medications and received one to two injections daily. So it's uh, that the, the truth uh, is, is very different than the image that was uh, portrayed around him by the Nazi propaganda machine. That's very interesting. So he didn't even drink coffee at all. Is that what you're saying? No, he drank only apple tea. My goodness. I'm saying that because I'm addicted to coffee. So it's hard to imagine no one else. Yeah, no one's... yeah I'm like, what? How could he not like coffee? No, coffee is also a drug and um, he, he didn't, he didn't use it. And he, he was, he only used um, oxycodone, but he wouldn't use coffee. So it's a bit of a contradiction. Hitler is a bit of a weirdo, huh? Kind of strange guy. Well, he set the world on fire. Yes, he. Yes. No denying that he was not a great charismatic leader. No matter what he did, that's still pretty wild that he was able to create all of this, even if it was for, I guess, evil per se. Yeah, I mean, the Nazi movement was uh, quite powerful. Um, Unfortunately, they had uh, uh, ideas and were trying to uh, crush um, minorities and persecuting everyone who didn't think like they thought. So um, they used their their uh, 
uh, abilities to change things to the to the not to the benefit of the German people or to the benefit of the world. Yes, he was also interested in the occult and other strange things. That's why I also said he was kind of a weirdo in that sense that he was so into these other alternative means. But I guess well, it helped to a certain degree. The Nazi movement was not really a rational political movement um, as, like we know, other political movements. It was an irrational movement that was working a lot with um, um, techniques of mass manipulation. And um, it's, 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 it's very interesting. It's not... It's 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 a it's a very complex it is, um, yeah. uh, topic to examine. It is. It is very interesting when you look back in time, and a lot of individuals go way back in time in terms of what America could and couldn't have done differently in 1933. That's always a question mm. that still remains unanswered. Mm. Well, Hollywood wanted to make a film. Um, uh, in the in the early 30s, showing the anti-Semitism of the Nazi uh, regime, um, but the Nazis protested in in Hollywood, saying that they would confiscate um, the properties of the uh, American film studios in Germany, and then um, MGM uh, actually didn't make the movie. So um, uh, America probably could have done a lot more in the beginning to stop it, but also no one really knew how bad it would you know, get. So, and America was far away. It was the other side of the ocean. And, um, yeah, it was, um, fortunate uh, how the Nazis were able to, uh, develop and gain strength. And, uh, they actually got support, um, also from, um, American, um, sources. They got funding from, uh, England and America. So, um, everyone in the West in the beginning, in a way supported the Nazis because they, were seen as um, a tool to fight communism, which was uh, feared to be spreading uh, from uh, Moscow uh, towards the West. Yes, and I'm also very curious if you had done any sort of research or just any kind of mild reading on what they call the war on drugs here in America. Well, the war on drugs in a way, was invented by the Nazis because when they took power in 1933, they said um, that all drug abuse should stop and they persecuted uh, drug users quite heavily. Um, that's why it's such a big irony that methamphetamine then becomes such an important um, medicine in Nazi Germany. It's not seen as a drug. It's, it's sold legally over the counter in the beginning. Uh, but... Um, Officially, the Nazis were this anti-drug movement. Um, so uh, the U.S. war on drugs is also modeled on the Nazi war on drugs that started in 1933 when drug addicts were being um, criminalized and uh, put in uh, prisons and concentration camps. Oh, yes. And, of course, speaking of the German perception of America. I'm curious to get your opinion on our president, Donald Trump, since I did mention him earlier. I'm curious what your opinion is and what other people are saying about him there. Just the general folks, non-political types that you've talked to in your uh, regular life. Well, I don't think you would find a person 
or you would find many people in Berlin that would appreciate Donald Trump. He's seen as um, the worst president in American history, um, and many people ridicule him and uh, think that it's a big tragedy um, for the world that such a um, person has uh, become president. Yes, I had a feeling you would say that. I had a feeling the German folks do not really like him very much. I have a few listeners out there in Germany, and they're not very much into anything having to do with uh, politics. And they've told me a few times that they just don't really care too much for politicians. And they see Trump as just another uh, political talking head, I guess you could say. Well, I mean, we in Germany, we don't like, we had a wall in Berlin separating the people. So I think yeah. Germans don't like the idea of a wall separating people. So that doesn't really make him popular in Germany. No doubt. And I'm also curious, do you have any other books in the works right now? Are you going to write another book at all? Yeah, I just completed uh, another book, which is about a group of young people in Berlin. It's also a nonfiction, historical nonfiction book. In the late 30s, they were trying to fight uh, the Nazi dictatorship, and they formed um, a very strong and interesting movement, um, producing illegal leaflets, uh, helping friends that were persecuted. Um, so it's about resistance, basically. So that book is going to come out in the United States in June uh, next year. Oh, okay. Very interesting. And Norman, by the way, I didn't get a chance to ask you this, but were you raised at all in a, I guess you could say, religious household at all? Um, I was raised uh, in, a, in a Protestant uh, household, but my family is not really religious, so it was not really an intense religious education that I received. I mean, in Germany, we have religious education in, in high school, actually. So we can choose between Protestant and Catholic uh, education. So I was always schooled in a, in a Protestant um, way, but religion never really played a, a big role in my life, I have to say. Understood. In my early life. So I, mm -hmm. I kind of discovered religion and spirituality a bit later on. Oh, so you do consider yourself religious then? Well, I... I consider myself spiritual, so I'm more ah, into okay. um, uh, meditation, and uh, I'm drawn to, um, for example, Buddhism, where I'm interested in religion, actually. I mean, I'm, I was also in India recently, so I was quite interested in Hinduistic uh, philosophies, and um, I'm interested in... I'm interested in all kinds of religion, actually, but I'm not, I'm not really religious. I don't practice a certain religion, which is actually quite normal in Germany. Most people don't practice religion. It's not, a, it's not as religious as the United States, Germany. Yes, I'm not very religious whatsoever. I'm actually an agnostic atheist. It's just I'm always mm. very interested in what people believe in, what they don't believe in. And this mm. is just another part of getting to know you personally and for the others out there listening to you know get a glimpse of who you really are and yeah that brings me to just one of my other curiosities about yourself norman um what other subjects are are you interested in because i know this is just one of the many layers of your personality 
So I'm totally curious about other things that you might be into, but you haven't really gotten a chance to talk about that sort of thing in, in an interview. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a bit of a difficult question. What am I interested in? Um, yeah, because, you know, there, there's uh, other things about you that I'm sure you've never really talked about. What do you mean? Well, for instance, um, the whole thing about religion and you know, that brings me back to asking you personally if you believe in an afterlife, for for, for example. Um, it's an interesting question. Um, um, it is very difficult, yeah. I understand. <laughs> it's a bit difficult to talk, to talk about it in, in an interview. Um, what do you think? Well, do you believe in an afterlife? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. That's that's why I'm an agnostic atheist. Sometimes I get this feeling that perhaps something could possibly exist once the lights turn off and we shut down permanently. Sometimes I feel that it is just a shutdown and it is permanent, that nothing else happens. Our memory just ceases to exist. Everything just sort of fades away in darkness. Depends on my mood, though. <laughs> well, yeah. Um... I don't know. It's hard for me to answer this question right now. Oh, I understand. It's very unusual, especially asking someone when, you know, we don't have any of these sort of things planned. It's more organic this way. And um, another thing is we, we took a little bit to get things started. Uh, you were putting your son away uh, to bed there. See, that's another thing I didn't even know. You yeah. had a son. Yeah, I have a son. He's three years old. And um, he has uh, he had the problem tonight that um, I wouldn't allow him to use his um, baby bottle anymore because uh -oh. yesterday we were at the dentist and the dentist said it's not good for his jaw. Uh, so um, I told him he couldn't use it anymore. And he was really upset because he said, now how can I drink when I'm lying in bed? How does it work? Because now I have to kind of get up and drink from a cup, and that's not that's no fun. And um, I I didn't really know how to you know, tell him that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it was hard to console him. I could actually feel with him that um, this is a big life changer in a way for him, because he was used to it to it for um, quite some time. Well, basically all of his life, that he yeah. used to lie in bed and, and have his 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 bottle. So um, that was. Um, a little bit difficult before I got into uh, the interview here. I had um, a bit of parenting to do, actually. Yeah, for some people, that's what it's like uh, for people in religion. When you talk about certain things, mm. they hold tight like your son does to the bottle there. Yeah. Yeah, we get used to I guess we all have our bottles and yeah. get used to it until maybe someone tells us that this bottle was is unhealthy for us in some, some in some respect. And uh, maybe then we change. Um, I mean, that was a problem with Hitler. He was getting very used to his daily injections from his doctor, not even thinking that um, these injections could make him addicted to, for example, oxycodone, because he just knew that if he gets an injection, uh, he feels better afterwards. So um, that was that was what he was interested in, and that was actually what the doctor was also interested in, because he wanted to make his patient A, as he called Hitler, happy. Uh, so they, the two men kind of moved uh, themselves into a corner uh, in which it was uh, getting higher and higher dosages of uh, dangerous uh, addictive um, 
drugs. Um, so it's, it's quite an interesting um, story there. Yes, it is. And were the Nazis at all using masculine? Masculine? Yes. Well, masculine is a hallucinogenic drug right. that um, actually was not used um, by the Nazis. It was only used, abused by um, um, the SS in, in uh, the concentration camp of Dachau, where they used um, meth, uh, masculine not methamphetamine, masculine, they right. used to give to um, inmates, um, to prisoners, um, trying to develop brainwashing techniques. So they um, dosed uh, prisoners with uh, masculine and then tried to um, uh, extract uh, the deepest secrets uh, from those uh, inmates that were high on masculine without knowing that they were high on masculine. They just... It just uh, didn't understand what's going on anymore. So that's uh, an early form of um, developing brainwashing techniques. Yeah, the MK Ultra project, basically here for the Americans. That's how that got started. Well, when the Americans liberated Dachau, they um, found these um, um, the uh, reports on those tests and confiscated them, and um, and then expanded on them uh, for MK Ultra. Yeah, that's always a, a strange part in our world's history that something like that was even developed. Well, it's a bit sad um, that uh, the United States, when they invaded uh, Nazi Germany, actually took a lot of bad things that the Nazis had developed and uh, and uh, used them uh, for their own goods in their war against in the Cold War against the Soviet Union against communism. So that Cold War that the United States was fighting um, was damaging to the uh, uh, democratic um, process within the United States. Um, yeah. Yeah, we also took von Braun from uh, Germany as well and brought him over here. So yeah, we definitely took a lot of different important factors. Mm. Yeah, Werner von Braun had developed the um, V2 rocket for Nazi Germany, and then um, he was given um, um, a job in, I think, White Sands in New Mexico to uh, develop uh, the missile program for the United States, for the uh, armed forces. So America employed, uh, freely employed Nazi scientists in order to get a head start um, uh, to, in order to get advantages uh, uh, towards the Soviet Union, which was also using uh, Nazi uh, knowledge in order to, uh, you know, um, get ahead in the in the in the Cold War uh, race, because the Germany actually Nazi Germany was um, a hotbed of um, military uh, inventions. So East and West tried to get as much as they could from that from that uh, place when they invaded it. Oh, yes. And I'm curious, do you believe in extraterrestrials, my friend? In what? In extraterrestrials. Random question. <laughs> um, I've actually never encountered uh, extraterrestrials. Um, I mean, I kind of, I kind of uh, believe in William Burroughs saying that language is a virus from outer space. I think a lot of our knowledge comes from uh, outer space and um, I'm, I'm kind of um, 
I'm of the opinion that uh, even structures that were that we still find on planet Earth were being um, erected uh, with uh, help from outer space. So um, I guess I do believe in um, in uh, aliens, but I have never really uh, seen an, uh, a UFO, for example. So um, still open for these kind of experiences. Yeah, I was curious what you thought about that. I was curious if perhaps the German people have uh, seen anything out there in the skies. We don't have as much as you have in the United States. I mean, I traveled the U.S., um, especially in the West, uh, Western states. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of UFO sightings. Uh, so I, I think you have more action uh, because you have, you have more space. I mean, Germany is very dense country, so maybe uh, aliens uh, avoid it because it's too populated. I don't know. Yeah, who really knows? But I'm glad I asked you. I was very maybe curious. Trump, maybe Trump is an alien. <laughs> he he might be. You never know. Yeah. He might might be. There's a lot of uh, people yeah. out here I suspect are not completely human. Maybe Trump is not human at all. We don't know. <laughs> we really don't know. And of of course, what was that, my friend? Sorry. I would like to know what drugs he uses, actually. Well, you know, that's actually a great question. As you know, most older Americans here, they are on something, some sort of form of medication. Not everyone mm. in the older generation out here is completely sober. They have to be on something. That's just a little known fact. I think... I think no one is sober in the older generation in the United States. Not at all. It's prescription. It's yeah. prescription um, medication country. I, I agree 100%. I always think that in my mind, anytime I'm talking to a, a very much older gentleman, I always have the mindset that this person is not sober. <laughs> as rude as that may yeah. sound, that does go through my head. They would probably claim that they're sober. <laughs> exactly. But we both know that's not true. Um, Trump, though, his remarkable energy that he has, the relentlessness that he has in terms of these uh, campaigns and where he's going, uh, the rallies, yeah. all these sort of publications, it all takes a great amount of energy. And mm. I I would have to imagine he's not sober. He can't be. Hypothetically no. speaking, of course. I, I don't know for sure. I'm just saying. Mm. I, I don't want a lawsuit here. I think you're fine. Yeah, I, I think we're good. It's it's just a joke. I, I like to say that, though. Mm. The whole lawsuit thing, it it's just still, sounds funny. It's still a democracy. Right. But now it's here... It's a free country. It still is a free country, but the whole freedom of speech thing, uh, you know, I don't know. People do get sued over things they say and over opinions. People go after you. Mm -hmm. That's a very unusual thing to have here in America. A, a, mm. very, a very strange... Um, time in history uh, especially with social media you say anything to someone that you offend either in real life or online and they'll go after your livelihood mm. that's very that's weird yeah that's just one of the many strange issues that are ongoing here in america and are there any weird weird sort of things like that going on in germany right now that we in america aren't even aware of well, we're having a right-wing uh, <clears throat> populist party 
called Alternative for Germany that has about 15% of the votes. Um, so they are kind of a problem. Um, but I think Germany is still a much more sane system uh, than the United States. But maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, too uh, pro-German in that respect. But I think Germany still is a very healthy system right now um, with a good uh, discourse and um, somewhat sane politicians. I mean, our chancellor might have her you know mistakes, but she's not a she's not a cruel racist. Uh, person, she's actually trying to um, trying not to uh, do evil things, and we've had a lot of evil leaders, so we we're, we're kind of happy right now with Merkel. That's interesting, very interesting, and of course, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, we are coming to a close very soon here, but I did want to ask you uh, more about media and what some some of the things that you like to watch outside of. Uh, you know, the political realm, just normal stuff. Are, are you watching TV or are you watching movies? What's going on with you, Norman? Um, the only problem that I really have with writing books is that it's so time-consuming that um, I actually don't find a lot of time to read or watch um, shows as much as I actually would like to. Um so, I mean, I do, as probably every other uh, decent human being on the planet, now watch um, TV series on Netflix and stuff like that, but I just don't have so much time. I, 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 I just I, I work 8 to 12 hours each day writing the new book and then, you know, taking care of the kid. Um, I also have a, a daughter, oh, okay. um, so I have... I have I don't have a lot of time. That's, yeah. my, that's maybe my only problem. Or I realize that time is the most precious thing that we have in our lives. And we need to spend it um, very carefully and do the right things and not waste it. Yeah, you're right about that. Very right about that. The lack of time. That's a big one for everyone. Yeah. It's hard to find the time to do things we'd like to do. Goodness. Yeah. So I also wanted to ask you before I, I cut you loose here if there's anything on your mind anything you'd like to get off your chest per se right now would be a great time well I'd have no idea who your listeners are um, so I'm not really sure what audience I'm talking to and America is a, is a big place with very different individuals um oh yes so i just uh, it's very mixed it's, yeah very mixed so i just have this one message that uh, i think we should appreciate um the variety of the human species and how different we are and i think that should be our core value so we should be very careful when people are um trying to be to appear better than uh, other people and or trying to uh close out uh, other people and um, so that's maybe that's the only thing that I want to you know, portray in my in my work that um, that we move away from uh, any form of super superiority or thinking that we're better than others uh, maybe that's the only thing I really want to say yeah, that's pretty important and I could hear the sirens going off out there 
Yeah, well, oh, I'm in no. a big city right now. Ah, okay. And it's night. It's Friday night, so um, it's it's happening. It's heating up here in Berlin. Yeah. Yeah, people are starting to go out, and that's another thing you haven't yeah. been able to go out yourself, right, Norman? Having to take care of the kids, you haven't really gone out to enjoy the nightlife per se. No, but I have enjoyed it intensely in the '90s, as we briefly oh, yes. spoke about. So <laughs> I'm fine to stay home now these days. Yes, in the '90s, that. Again, that was when you were in your prime, in your heyday, uh, going yeah. about there, enjoying the, the musical scene. And Norman, did you experiment with any drugs yourself? Well, um, for me, also drinking green tea is experimenting with drugs. And, uh, <laughs> True. But of course, there are more, there are more um, severe drugs than that. And right. In the, in the 90s, they were quite popular in Berlin. So I, um, I did try... Uh, different uh, things and uh, I think that actually was important for writing um, the book Blitz, Drugs in Nazi Germany to have a certain understanding myself of how certain drugs and drug types uh, affect the nervous system and the brain um, so um, yes I do have some experience and I think it, it actually helps me uh, with uh, writing uh, books. Very interesting and of course, as you've mentioned, it is the evening out there. So that would mean uh, Guten Abend. Is that how you say that? Yeah, Guten Abend. Yes. Guten Abend is correct. And, um, and actually for me, it will be Gute Nacht, which is good night. Oh. Because I think I'll actually, while you still enjoy your um, afternoon, I will probably go to bed soon. Understood, yes. I've been saying uh, Guten Morgen when opening the show because some of the uh, listeners that uh, tune in here are, are from Germany. And as soon as I started saying mm. that on the show, I started getting more and more German listeners. It's kind of funny. Yeah. So I'm trying to learn a few different words every now and then. That's good. Oh, yes. So Norman, again, I do want to thank you very much for being a part of the program. Uh, definitely plug your website if you'd like, my friend. Well, I mean, you can... Go to normanoller.com and uh, learn more about my work or just uh, read Blitzed. I think then you will uh, have a lot more of my way of portraying the world and his and historical um, things that uh, still influence our life today. Very good. Norman, once again, thank you for being here. We will touch base again in the near future, my friend. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be um, on your program. Thank you for uh, talking to me and have a great uh, day and let's be in touch. Yes, sir. All right, my friend. Good night and take care out there. Good night. All right. Bye-bye. Good day. Yes, sir. Bye. Bye-bye. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, that was Norman Oler. Great, great guy. I did enjoy talking to him and I hope you too. I, I hope you guys enjoyed talking to him. He was a great... A guest, very interesting, very different sort of opinion on different things, different matters. And he also relayed some of the things I thought he would hear on the program. Very, very interesting. I want to thank all of you out there for listening. And remember, you can catch the podcast version of this program on iTunes, Stitcher, and the CastBox. Basically, every popular platform there is. And, of course, I will be returning tomorrow. Marshall Masters will be here. We got another Planet X update for you all. And, yes, Sam Hill. 
I'm glad you're here, Sam. Mr. Ambien himself, you say in the chat room. Yes, I believe he was uh, pretty tired before he even jumped on uh, here to talk to us. He was already battling uh, some issues with uh, sleep and, of course, trying to get his kids to go to sleep there. But in the end, it all came together, and that's what's important here. And I do want to thank all of you out there for listening again. Truly appreciate that. And for those that will be listening to this on a replay, keep in mind all the programs, the usual shows go down on Saturday at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's 10 p.m. Eastern Time, live every Saturday night, my friends. So I will see you tomorrow. Same time, same place, my friends. I'm Michael Deacon. And thank you for being here. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place. And life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. This is the story of the miracle sea in the desert. Michael Deacon, Michael, Michael Deacon, Michael Deacon, Michael Deacon, Michael Deacon. Yeah. <laughs>